My name is Tara. I'm going to be reading the scripture today. You can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along on the screens. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 Timothy chapter 1, 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear but of power, of love, and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been excuse me, manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day when that has been entrusted to me. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. So we just completed a series uh, last week, and uh, with our one-year celebration, we thought it fitting to do a standalone uh, message this morning. So next week, we'll begin a new series, but this, uh, this service today uh, is entitled uh, The One-Year Celebration, and the, the message is entitled Grace. Grace. So, uh, Kobe Bryant, all right? If you don't know who that is, he was a basketball player. Um, on April 12th, 2013, he was, uh, he was playing in a game. He plays for the L.A. Lakers, and uh, I'm always, like, over-informing that because I'm sure there's some of you that could not give a rip as to who he is or anything about the NBA. Um, but on, uh, on April 12, 2013, the Golden State Warriors were playing the L.A. Lakers, and uh, he was fouled in the middle of the game. He fell, and he grabbed his ankle, and it was like this big ta-da. Everybody wondered, like, did he hurt himself? And uh, he, he, sit, he sat there on the ground for a second, and uh, then they helped him to his feet, and he kind of hobbled to the foul line. And if you're any type of a skeptic when it comes to professional athletes, you're just thinking, he's fine. He's just milking it. Like, he wanted the call, whatever. And so he kind of hobbles to the line. He has two shots. And uh, the score at that point was Golden State Warriors 109, uh, Los Angeles Lakers 107. And so he takes the line, there's two shots, and he sinks both of them, wincing after each shot, and then he hobbles back to the bench, and we think, okay, congratulations, like, you convinced us you're hurt, you know? We found out later that he had torn his Achilles tendon. Incredibly painful injury. In fact, some people say it's virtually impossible to stand after you've experienced a tear to the magnitude that he experienced. Not only did he stand, he walked to the foul line. He shoots two foul, foul shots and makes both of them and then walks off the court. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. If you're a skeptic like my dad, you're wondering where they gave him the shot. You know, like where is it that they snuck it in that he drugged him so he couldn't feel anything? But our eyes were on him the whole time. He just endured the pain. He was recently interviewed and they asked him, given the pain of an Achilles tear, how in the world, how in the world did you endure the pain necessary to go to the foul shot 
and shoot those shots and make them both. So he stopped for a second and he actually answered in an illustration. He said, imagine you're on your couch and you have a hamstring pull. He goes, let's say it's a severe one. You can barely even stand up. And all of a sudden your house starts to fill with smoke and you realize your house is on fire and your kids are upstairs. You just lay on the couch and say, oh, I hurt my hammy. You pull yourself out. He goes, or do you just stand up and sprint up the stairs, enduring the pain? Because your family's in trouble. You got to do something. It was an amazing story as he talked about this idea of enduring the pain. Enduring the pain. You will suffer for what you love most. That's just the reality of it. You give an illustration, you think of an example, you'll suffer for it in the right circumstances. I was playing out in my front yard as a, as a kid, and I had been told several times to not mess around uh, with a rope in my front yard uh, because we were figuring out a way to do a zip line across some trees. And uh, we had this rope that we had secured up there, and my dad was like, listen, you're going to hang yourself. You got to stop messing around with the rope. I'm not kidding around. There's, you know, the crotch of trees. You get your throat stuck in there. I'm like, holy cow, like, simmer down. Like, the trees are not here to kill us, dad. Like, they'll get you. You watch those trees. So he was just nervous, you know, nervous as, as any good parent would be. And so I remember one day in particular, we were up in the tree and I was up there and I was freaking my sisters out where I would do this thing where I would hang from a branch and be like, oh no, I slipped. And I'd hold on to it and they'd be like, ah. And so, you know, I really fooled them this one time and they're screaming like, oh no, hold on, Claude. Ah! And they're yelling. All of a sudden the door whips open and my dad, who is not a small dude, comes out of the door and I kind of see under the foliage what's happening. He starts running across the yard. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with him? He starts running across the yard and, and we split wood growing up. I split wood growing up. My dad watched. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with him. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> he comes running across the yard. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. And as he's running across the yard, and I have never seen him run up until this point in my life. I was literally thinking, what in God's name is happening? Like, is someone giving amazing free cars away on that side of our yard? I don't know. And so he comes running over and tries to jump over this pile of wood. And he's not a limber dude, so it does not go well. Like, he kind of trims and he takes a stump right to the front of his shin. And he keeps running and there's blood coming out of the front of his leg. And I'm thinking, what is wrong? And he comes over and he's like, God, are you okay? And he's looking up. I'm like, yeah. I'm fine. And then he has this look of like relief and fury, you know? And then I'm thinking, I mean, ow, good thing you ran out to me. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, what? We're just playing. And he's like, your sisters are screaming. I come out the door and I just see your feet kicking around out from the bottom of the tree. I thought for sure you hung yourself. <laughs> yeah, those maple trees, they get you. They'll come for it. I was like, Dad, I'm sorry. And he's like, you can't scare me like that. Get down. I'm like, I think I'm going to stay up here a little while. <laughs> I'm going to kind of wait till everything sort of cools down. <laughs> the point is this, like my dad who does, did not run when faced with this tragic potential. And if you have a kid in the room, you, you can't even imagine, right? You can't even imagine the moment, the potential that one of them might be injured. How quick you'd leap into action. You'd take any pain to the leg. It doesn't matter. You would just run for them. You would suffer for what it is you love. And so I have a question. What is it that you would suffer for? What would you suffer for?
Think about that for a second. What would you suffer for? I think if we take a moment and think about it, we might be surprised. We may surprise ourselves a little bit in that we might be willing to suffer for more than we realize. I think the, the natural inclination is, oh yeah, no, we won't, we won't suffer for much. But if I start giving you some illustrations, it's amazing how you'll reorient your life. You'll take some pain in order to prioritize something over something else. You'll suffer through a sleepless night in order to get what it is that you want. It's amazing what it is that we actually will suffer for. That being said, what we're willing to suffer for reveals our heart's affections. That which you're willing to suffer for reveals the affections of your heart. That which you love. It prioritizes things. You'll quickly suffer for something over something else and it'll reveal your heart, whether you like it or not. In fact, it may reveal that you've made good things ultimate things. That you've suffered for business. That you've suffered and prioritized for money, for possessions. In fact, maybe you've suffered for these things over your family, over relationships. You've prioritized them. Or maybe you've suffered for family, a good thing. You've suffered for sports. Maybe you've suffered for your kids' sports. I mean, not that that's a big deal in our community. Maybe you've suffered for rest. You've prioritized anything to just say, listen, I just need to work this out so I can get a little rest, a little relaxation. You've suffered for these good things over a growing relationship with God. We'll reprioritize and reschedule our lives to do these things, but I just don't, I just don't have time for the things of God. I just can't reorient. Listen, I just don't have enough hours in the day. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough time. I just, I really want to prioritize this instead. Revealing the affections of our heart. What do you suffer for? What is it that you really are willing to prioritize? You see, you'll endure pain for that which you love most. If you're a Christian in the room today, and I realize that there's people all over the gamut from committed Christ follower all the way to the person skeptic and maybe even someone in the room that thought that there was class today. And so you showed up for college and you're like, what is going on? This class is totally weird. I just hope that happens someday. I really do. But I realize that the room's full of all different types of people. If you're a Christian, you might say that you love the Lord above all else. But do you suffer for a growing relationship with God? We might with our words say, listen, I I love God above everything else. I mean, but I won't won't do that. I'm not going to give that up. Oh, no, my goodness, I I can't rearrange that. I mean, come on. Those things matter. What do you suffer for? I want you to think about that as we move through this morning's text. And if you know anything about 2 Timothy, you know that it's called a pastoral epistle. And that's just kind of a a fancy way to say that it's a a letter written to a pastor. So this is a letter that's written to a pastor. Um, You know, spoiler alert, the letter is written to Timothy. 
hence the name. So Timothy is a pastor, and Timothy uh, was a spiritual son. So a spiritual son to the Apostle Paul. What I mean by spiritual son is he had a physical father, um, but Paul is playing the role of a spiritual influencer in Timothy's life. He's like a spiritual father to him. In fact, history tells us that 2 Timothy was the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in a Roman prison. It was one of the most difficult prisons that he had been in. He had been in prison several times, um, but he speaks, actually at one point he requests his cloak from Troas, and so there's this idea that maybe he's even freezing to death in this um, hidden little uh, prison inside a, a Roman larger prison. Eventually, history tells us that uh, Paul will become a martyr. He will die as a result of being in this Roman prison for his faith. So he will ultimately give his life. This is the last letter written um, with his impending death before him. At face value, you might wonder uh, about a, a letter to a pastor having any application in your life today. And beyond, obviously, the argument that I would have that all scripture has personal application, I would also submit to you that this letter is not only to pastors, but it's broader than that. It's to leaders. It's a letter to leaders. And I would define a leader as anyone that has influence over someone else. Anyone that has influence over someone else. We're all leaders. We all have the capacity to lead within our lives. No one lives a static life. We love the idea of that though, right? That we could just be like in the middle. Be like, well, I'm not gonna choose. I don't impact anybody. I'm just gonna kind of stay here. I'll affect my own life. But ultimately, I don't influence others. It's just not the case. We all impact and have influence over other people. We're all leaders. It's not if you're influencing others. It's how you're influencing others. How is it that you influence others with the legacy that is your life? 2 Timothy verse 3 through 5 says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, night and day, <laughs> night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells within you as well. Paul is speaking to the power of spiritual influence over generations. A generational impact into the lives of others. Something interesting uh, to notice in the text is that uh, Timothy obviously has strong spiritual women that influenced his life. But there's also the reality that we believe, as I mentioned already, that Timothy had a physical father, but spiritually it appears he was MIA. There was a lot about the spiritual impact that his grandmother and his mother had on him, but Paul never makes reference to his father. And so Paul has become, as I alluded to earlier, his spiritual father. And so I want to tell you just for a moment, as we think about a year in review and we think forward, I want to tell you, Christian men of Centerway, we have a calling to be spiritual fathers and spiritual brothers. We have a calling to come alongside others in their spiritual development. I was blessed in my life to have a father that had a spiritual relationship with the Lord. And so I didn't have just a father that was present in my life, but I had a spiritual father that was one and the same. That being said, I am grateful, and I'm sure he is too, 
for the others that came alongside him in my spiritual development. Spiritual uncles and brothers and people that stood alongside him as I went through the difficulty of life. And so I just, I want to challenge you to not minimize the spiritual influence that you have on other people. Christian women of Centerway, you don't get off easy. (laughs) Don't minimize or marginalize your role as a spiritual mother and sister to speak truth into the lives of others. We want an environment of authenticity. We talk about that often, but it means a willingness to speak truth to others. Because here's the deal. In the difficulty of life, the biggest battleground is right between our ears. The lies that have been spoken to us since birth. The lies that that the enemy itself whispers into our hearts and minds and the lies that we speak over our own lives. And to have a spiritual father or a spiritual mother or a spiritual sister or brother come alongside you and say, that's a lie. Let me tell you the truth about what God believes. Let me tell you about who you are in Christ. That we would be truth speakers here at Centerway. We have what's called because and therefore. Meredith spoke about one in the announcements in the beginning as we reviewed that amazing video. I tried not to watch because I didn't want to be like a blubbering mess. It's amazing to see the faithfulness of God over this past year. One of the because and therefore that we have is called generations. It goes like this. Because God says every person matters, we value generations. Therefore, we serve everyone. We develop and equip leaders at every age, recognizing the uniqueness we bring to the table in different seasons of life. Regardless of your age, Regardless of your spiritual journey, you are an influencer and you have a voice. You have a voice in your community, you have a voice in your workplace, you have a voice in your home, and you have a voice at Centerway. Verse 6 of 1 Timothy says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. To fan into flame. In the original Greek, this this verb is actually an active, present, tense verb. And so what that means is this. It means to rekindle. But get this. It's not the word for a flame that is going out. So you might, if you just read at face value, you might picture that, that Paul is telling Timothy, listen, your flame is going out. And as your flame is going out, I just want to encourage you to fan it back into a flame. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening at all. The the word that's used here is actually in reference to something that is burning forcefully and steadily and needs to continue in that forceful and steady burning. Some commentators say it could be said, keep blazing. So fan into flame, Timothy. Keep blazing. Fan this into flame. Believe. I believe that this is a word for centerway. I believe that this is a word as we head into our second year to think about, listen, our flame is not going out. God is not done with what it is that he's doing in Centerway. We're gaining momentum. We're taking more ground, not because of Centerway, but because of the grace of God, because of what it is that he wants to do in this and surrounding communities. And I believe that it's God himself that would look at Centerway and would look at you and say, keep blazing, fan into flame. Listen, keep the fire going. Continue to do what it is that I want you to do. There will be, in upcoming vision meetings, time to share on some specifics on how the Lord is leading 
center way in very specific ways. But I want to challenge you to consider this as a, as a lens or a theme as we head into our second year. That we wouldn't have a season or a moment of fanning a flame. But as Paul says, an active, continuous flame. Present tense. Present tense, active. It means this. Now, today, the flame is burning. Now, tomorrow, the flame is burning. Now, the next day, today, the flame is burning. We don't have words in our English language that can connect the dots of this idea of present tense ongoing, continually fanning the flame, that we would wrap our mind around the idea that God is doing something that he has begun, and there's a continuous perpetual impact that 100 years from now, people will walk into the doors of Centerway because you put your hands into a circle and said, let's be a part of something greater than ourselves. Let's fan this flame. Let's continue this steady burning. I, uh, I had a conversation. I had a conversation with a, a pastor friend of mine about a year ago because it was before we launched. There's a pastor friend of mine down in New York City and uh, he's a church uh, and a pastor that uh, financially invested in us. In fact, we had 29 churches that invested in us financially to help establish this work because of the perceived and known need and um, because of the amazing team that the Lord had gathered. And he said something uh, pretty profound. He said, Claude, I just got to tell you, as I've been praying for Centerways, I've been praying for, the, praying for the team, he said, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that you're coming from a place of strength and power. And he said, that's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of what it is that God is going to do, that it's ongoing and that there will be immediate and ongoing impact. And so I want to tell you this morning that as much as that word was for then, it's for now, and it's for tomorrow, and it's to continue because we want to continue to fan the flame of what it is the Lord is doing, to keep burning. We often say, the best days are ahead. I believe Meredith actually even said it a moment ago, our best days are ahead. And as much as I completely agree with that, let's remember that our best days are now. Right? Our best days are now. Sometimes we talk about the best days ahead and, and we miss out on the blessing and the faithfulness of God in the moment. I want to tell you our best days are now and our best days are ahead. It's continuous and active. It's ongoing. So fan into flame. Fan into flame what? The gift of God. That's what scripture says. The gift of God. What is the gift? What is the gift of God that's making reference here? In 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave, here it is, he gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Continue to fan the flame of the gift of God, the gift of power, love, and self-control. We as a, as a church and individual influencers should not function out of fear, but out of power. And it's interesting, at the, at the reading of this verse, you might say, hmm, power. We think strength. We think, uh, uh, especially when we see fear in there, we think the opposite of fear is courage, and so we need to be courageous. And although there is that connotation, the, the reality of the word and what it means here is it's actually talking about power in endless energy. Don't have fear because of endless energy that you have. Because the gift of God is endless power and energy. So not power like authority, power like power plug. 
So the gift of God is energy for what? Energy and love. But love is actually the idea of loving others. So the gift of having energy to love others. <laughs> I could use some of that on some days, right? Am I alone there? You guys are like, mm, not me, hallelujah. I just, I love them. Bless you. Oh my goodness, you cut me off. My favorite thing to do when someone cuts me off is to do this. <laughs> Meredith hates it. <laughs> when somebody cuts me off, I'm like, just wave them. I'm like, yeah. they're like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, God bless you as you go. <laughs> so endless energy to love others. But here's the deal. Not because of your effort, because there are some unlovable people in my life, right? You don't have any of them, do you? I might be your unlovable person. <laughs> but this idea that our capacity to love others comes from an energy source that is not ourselves. That God literally gives us the gift to love others. And self-control it's not making reference to restraint. We think of self-control as restraint, like I'm going to control myself. But it means self-control in the context of not being crisis-oriented. Isn't that interesting? That we would have energy to love others because of the gift of God to give us energy to love others and not function according to crisis, but peace. We wouldn't have fear. That when things start to come unravel. We have this ability to walk in strength, not because of ourselves or our own efforts, but because of a gift from God that he's imparted into our lives. This is a gift from God, but we bear the responsibility to feed it. Isn't that interesting? That there's a flame that we have to feed, that we have to fan this flame, that this gift requires us to lean in. And God gives us the grace to fan our flame. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That the sovereignty of God provides that which we need and then gives us the energy and ability to continue to fan it. For what? What is the purpose of this gift? Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed. So therefore is, is a word used to connect the thought prior to the thought coming. So all of that gift, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So there's two commands in this verse. The first one is to not be ashamed of the gospel. It's a command tense. It's called an imperative. And so there's this imperative that Paul says, he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. But what's interesting about this, this word is it denotes an action that hasn't begun. In other words, he's not looking at Timothy and saying, listen, stop being ashamed of the gospel. It's embarrassing. You know, he's not saying that. He's saying this, don't start being ashamed of the gospel. You haven't been ashamed, but don't start. Don't allow the worries and the cares of this world to start you being ashamed of the gospel. Now, what's interesting is that if you don't know who Timothy is, he's a pastor, but he's a pastor of the church in Ephesus, arguably one of the most influential churches in the New Testament, a powerhouse of what it was that, that God was doing in a community in the then known world. 
And so Paul's looking at him, not as like this pastor that's just kind of trying to connect the dots, but instead this growing group of people that the Lord is adding daily to their numbers. And he's saying, listen, continue in what it is that God is doing. Continue to fan the flame and don't, in the worries and the cares of this world, don't start to become ashamed of the gospel. The second imperative, the second command in the verse is suffer for the gospel. We don't like this one. You don't like that. Like, what? Suffer? No, I don't want to go to that church. They told me I have to suffer. <laughs> Welcome to your suffering. Step one, listen to me for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's not a popular thought, right? Hey, let's suffer together. It doesn't resonate. But here's the reality. If we're honest, we suffer for a lot of lesser things, right? We suffer for jobs. We suffer for monetary things. We suffer for good things, family, rest. In fact, sometimes they become ultimate things. What do you suffer for? Do you suffer for the gospel? Because you're suffering. You're prioritizing. You're sacrificing something over something else. You do it every day. I do it every day. You don't live a static life. You're an influencer, so your suffering is not only impacting your life, it's impacting others. Your children are learning what's worth suffering for from that which you suffer for. Your coworkers, everyone you walk past, your brothers, your sisters, your spiritual sons and daughters, they're watching what you suffer for. Paul is commanding Timothy and every person in this room to live on mission. That's what this is about. To prioritize and love the gospel. You see, because here's the deal, it'd be real easy. It'd be real easy for me as a preacher to get up here and say, listen, do good things. Hey, stop it. Stop the bad stuff. And stop the good stuff to take over the good stuff, the greater stuff. Anybody track? Mm. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I could just sit here and kind of browbeat you into saying, listen, be a better Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you should become one. Because, hey, listen, God's telling us to. Roll up your sleeves and try as hard as you want. But Paul is talking about a love of the gospel. Because you suffer for that which you love. You won't suffer long because someone tells you to, right? We've experienced a lot of that where people are like, hey, can you just do this? I've been in those moments where someone's handed me something heavy and they're like, just hold it for a second. And I'm holding it and literally I'm like, how long are they going to be? I'm like, this is getting heavy. I'm thinking, this is stupid. Are they coming back? I'm thinking, why can't this sit on the ground? I start evaluating, like, is it food? Like, why is it, why must this be held? And then almost immediately, I just say, like, this is fine on the ground. And I just set it carefully on the ground, and I stand by it. You're welcome. And they come back, like, did you just, it's on the ground? I'm like, no. It was gonna, yeah, I put it on the ground. We don't suffer long for things we don't care about. We don't understand. And so the, the answer to suffering, the answer to fanning this flame is connecting our love to the gospel. The mission of Centerway is to cultivate a movement in which every person becomes, which, in which people become gospel influencers in every sphere of life. 
cultivating a movement in which people become gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. Are you a gospel-centered influencer in every sphere of life? You may be tempted to say, let's get to work. I can suffer with the best of them. (laughs) I could do it. And like I said already, it's not the way it works. In fact, verse 9 removes all doubt. Verse 9 says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. And then here we go. Not because of our works. Not because of what we do. But because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It's not because of our efforts. It's because of God's purpose and his grace. If it's from God, and if it's because of God, because of God's sovereignty and grace, then how do we do our part? How is it that we contribute? How do we fan this flame? It's interesting. Every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the Word of God There's 13 actual letters that the Apostle Paul authored. They begin with some form of the words grace to you. All 13 of them. Some form of grace to you. The first verse, first pericope. And every one of them ends with some form of grace be with you. Grace be with you. You see, God's word is an outpouring of his grace. As you leave this place and you return to life and the troubles and the to-do list and the schedules and all of the things that are part of this world that we live in, Paul is saying, may the grace you have received remain with you. How? Well, 2 Timothy verse two, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, if you jump ahead to the next chapter just for a second, Paul writes this. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Strengthened by grace. It's amazing. Grace has more of an impact and a deeper uh, influence in our lives than we realize. I think we have this kind of lofty view as, as grace that's something simply extended from God. That when we do something wrong, we're awarded grace. But it goes much deeper than that, right? Because grace has to remain with us, that it's actually something that strengthens us. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we have this interaction between the Apostle Paul and Timothy that Luke records. And so Luke, the author of Acts, is recording this interaction with Paul, the Apostle, and Timothy, his spiritual son. He's on a beach and he's getting ready to leave them from Ephesus. And as he's leaving, uh, sorry, he's getting ready to leave and he's speaking to the Ephesian leaders, the Ephesian elders. And Timothy obviously is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so Timothy is present. As Paul is leaving Timothy on the beach, he says this, as a spiritual, to his spiritual son and to the elders of the church, he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, that we're built up by the grace of God to feed the flame, continue to remain faithful. How? The flame is fanned and fed by God's word. By God's word. 
a commitment to biblical literacy, prioritizing time in the word. It means that when we come together for these gatherings, that we don't just do church, that we don't just go through the motions. Every message that we preach up here has gone through a preaching and teaching team where we wrestle with the text. And we have conversations and we agree and we disagree and we in depth talk about the questions that can be asked and more importantly, what the application is. What is this section of text challenging us to do so that when this is communicated from the front of the room, we leave this place having had an encounter with the living God, not to simply be built up in grace, but to then have the grace with us as we leave this place. And it's not just marginalized to adults, but because we believe in every generation. Karen's part of that preaching and teaching team. And so we then move the content into children specific. We don't function off of a curriculum here. Your kids are, are, are hearing this same message, a variation, kid specific. And they're leaving that place with a card with the application on it for them. Why? Because we want you to fan the flame of the truth of the word of God in every area of your life. We want you to leave this place contemplating, what am I going to do with that text? I've had an encounter with God, but listen, I'll tell you right now, the modern church, and I'm not pointing fingers at any specific church, I mean the modern church as a whole, Christendom as a whole, has gotten to a place where we're really good at coming to church, we're really good at hearing church, especially if you've got like any type of electronic, you can hear a million different podcasts and video casts. So we, we come and we hear, but not often do we do anything with what we've heard. Jesus looked at the disciples. He said, come to me. And then he told them and they heard. He said, now go and do it. Now go and do it. Come back and tell me what it was like. And so we see the early church doing the work of the gospel. And I think in, in our lives, we're suffering for other things. And so we just, we don't consider often what the implications could look like what it means. We buy into the idea of do life, gather as much as we can, work hard, be a good mom, be a good dad, all good things, none ultimate things. What will you suffer for? As the flame continues to be fanned, as we continue to apply and we lean in and say, what are we going to do with this text? What is it that we're going to do about what it is that we've heard from the word of God? The outflow of our hearts being broken by what breaks God's heart. That we would get to a place where we realize what the truth of the gospel is and we love it. We love it to the point that we we suffer for it. We prioritize it. I don't mean hyper-spiritual weirdness where we scare people away and, and call it suffering, you know? <laughs> hey, the Lord loves you! And you're like, you're a weirdo. You're like, I'm suffering for the gospel. <laughs> I don't mean that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about leaning in to what it is that God's calling you to do even when it's scary. Even when it might cost you something. that we would renew our minds, the word of God, to have power and love and self-control. 
to live on mission, fulfilling the purpose and meaning of your one and only life. That you wouldn't marginalize and settle for some ripped off version of your one and only life, but instead lean into all that God has called you to do and be. Centerway's vision is developing healthy influencers and organizations in every environment God leads us. That even in the marketplace, we would be people that, that bring value and love at a different level. That we wouldn't say spiritual, sanctified, non-spiritual. No. That we would carry the grace of God with us. That it would empower us and build us up. That we would walk into the marketplace, into wherever the Lord would lead us, into organizations and relationships. Developing healthy influencers and organizations in every environment God leads us. Verses 10 and 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I love that section of that verse. Just a resolute moment where the Apostle Paul is in this little cave in the depths of a Roman prison. He literally says people came to look for him and couldn't find him. That's how desolate the location is. And he says, listen, (laughs) I know whom I have believed And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Since Jesus loved you, he loved you. Put your name right there so much that he suffered. Jesus suffered a death on a cross, a death that you and I deserve, a death that we earned through the sinfulness of our lives, through the brokenness of our nature. Jesus says, I will suffer for you so that you can walk in freedom and authority, that you can have power and love and self-control, that you could live on mission. Allow me to suffer because I love you. Not because you earned it, but because of the beginning of, the end, the beginning of time, Jesus decided he loves you. You're valuable. that we would walk in the fullness of who God's called us to be because he suffered and died for us. We have another because and therefore, it's called God risk. It goes like this. Because God sees what we can't, we value God risks. Therefore, we respond when God speaks. Pursue efforts that require supernatural intervention to succeed. And while we aren't irresponsible, we resist the comfort zone and don't maintain or play it safe out of fear. If you want to know the rest of our because and therefore, you can check them out on the website. The point is this. Are you taking God risks in your life? We as a lead team, we're committed to taking God risks in this church, in Centerway, the way we interact in this community and beyond. But are you possessing that personally to say, you know what? What God calls me to do, I'm going to do. It might cost me something. It may make no sense to everyone around me. It may make no earthly sense. But listen, 
We aren't irresponsible. So it says we aren't irresponsible, but we also don't function out of fear. So if God has told you to do something, would you risk it? Would you risk it even if it means a backwards move in the hierarchy of your job? Even if it costs you something fiscally, would you take the God risk? If it costs you some popularity, you put in the blank. I don't know what it'll cost you, but are, are you willing to take a God risk? Fan the flame. We say every week as we conclude that the text requires something from us. It's that application piece. And any time that the word of God is communicated, there's something there that, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to your heart and mind as we've spoken. And so I want to challenge you with this question. What will I risk for God? What will I risk for God? I don't know. I don't know what it is that's going on in, in your life, but we're headed into our second year and we're committed to fanning the flame to continue burning that which God has set ablaze, to continue to lean into the gift of God and to move with power and authority because of the mission that God has called us to accomplish. And I want to challenge you to personally take up that responsibility, to wrestle with the text and to say, what will I risk for God? What is it that I've, that I've marginalized or moved down because I've made something else more important? Maybe this morning, for you, you'll, you'll risk surrender. Maybe you've never come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And so maybe for you, the risk is, I'm going to allow God to be the Lord and leader of my life. If that's you this morning, if you want to cross that line of salvation, I want to challenge you just in the quietness of your seat right now, you can pray that prayer. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. You died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It's that simple. We'd love to have a conversation with you about what your next steps can be. In fact, maybe your next step, if you've already prayed that prayer in the past, maybe the risk you need to take is to be water baptized, to go public with a decision. In fact, maybe your loved ones don't even know that you crossed that line of salvation. You're going to be like, I've crossed that line of salvation. I'm ready to go public with it. I want to be water baptized. Next week, we're having a water baptism. Our first one, we're super excited about it. You'll hear more about it and you're welcome to join us. But if you want to be a person that's being water baptized, you can sign up on our website or have a conversation with us at the Next Steps area today. Maybe that's the risk, to go public with the decision you've made privately. Maybe for you, you've gone public with that decision, you've prayed that prayer privately. It looks more like dealing with your time, talent, and treasure differently. Will I risk serving? Well, you risk putting your hands in a circle and say, listen, I want to I be a part of this group of believers. I want to I sign up for something. Maybe it means risking being a part of a, a group of people in a circle as we launch our circles. We have two adult circles, two kids circles, and a student circle. Super excited about that. It's going to be launching in a couple weeks. And maybe your next step, maybe your God risk is to say, I'm going to join a, a circle of people to talk about what it is that, that God's calling me to do and be. Or maybe I'll just sit and listen to others. I don't know. I don't know what your next step is, but I know that the word of God requires something from every one of us. Maybe it means living on mission a completely different way, 
Something that none of us have even considered, but the Holy Spirit's whispered to your heart. I want you to just bow your heads and, and close your eyes if you want. You can keep your eyes open if you want. I just don't want you to be distracted by people coming up to, to lead us in song. We're going to respond to the preaching of the word through worship. And as we do, I want you to continue to reflect on the question, what will I risk for God? What will I risk? Is it a spiritual conversation? Sometimes we get so wigged out by that. What if, what if my friend asks me something I don't know the answer to? It doesn't always have to be a spiritual conversation. It could be an invitation. It could be, hey, listen, I, I don't know all the answers to the questions you might have, but I found a place of people that are just authentic and, and real, and I'd love for you to join me sometime. I don't know what your risk looks like. Time, talent, treasure. Maybe it's time to start giving, to, to begin to, to worship the Lord through the giving of your, of your tithe. Churches shy away from that conversation so, long, so much because you get kind of marginalized. It's like, oh, I knew it. They want my money. They want my money. Listen, we don't want your money. God has done something here because of who God is. And Centerway will continue to prevail even if you cross your arms and staple your wallet shut. And so don't believe that lie. I'm talking about a response to loving the gospel. So you know what? We're going to risk it. We're going to risk it. I don't pretend to know what your application is, but I know that it requires something from every single one of us. So let's consider that as we go into a response time and worship the Lord together.